So how do privacy and civil liberties questions come into the work of, of your company? As, as an engineering software company, um, why do you care about privacy and civil liberties? That's a great question for any company, but particularly for Palantir, Peter Thiel's Silicon Valley data mining company. On the front lines of this new industry, Palantir has spent a lot of time in the hot seat around its powerful data tracking tools and issues of privacy and civil liberties. I'm Joe Lee from Brown University's School of Professional Studies. In this episode, Executive Master and Cybersecurity faculty member Tim Edgar interviews John Grant, Palantir's civil liberties engineer, who recently spoke to our Executive Master students on the Brown campus in Providence. Grant explains the importance of privacy and civil liberties in the company's mission to build better institutions for all. He also shares his commitment to relentlessly asking questions to survive as one of the few non-technical people in the room. I'm really happy to be talking here with John Grant, who is a civil liberties engineer at Palantir Technologies. Um, he's come to speak to our students here at Brown uh, and had a fantastic perspective. So welcome, John. Um, so what is Palantir Technologies and what do they do? Uh, so Palantir is a Silicon Valley company that builds a data analytics platform. Uh, and this is a sort of a platform that sits on top of existing data systems uh, and integrates data from a variety of sources in a variety of formats, all sources owned by the particular customer. Uh, allows that data to work, to talk to each other, to work with it, uh, within that. Um, so basically, you can get two data sets that maybe have never been connected before and let them work together. Uh, and then enable secure collaboration within that environment. So being able to run analysis uh, uh, on the data in various formats and do it collaboratively with other people. The um, <clears throat> system was originally built in the intelligence community space, but now uh, the same basic uh, core platform can be used to model everything from looking at financial fraud uh, to making home lending decisions in the financial space uh, to uh, analyzing how enzymes interact uh, with certain kinds of pharmaceuticals. The same basic technologies um, that actually enable the um, intelligence work as well. Who are some of your customers, if you can tell me? Uh, most of our customers are confidential. We started in the intelligence space. Uh, we have done some work with big banks, uh, with pharmaceutical companies, uh, with airlines, um, pretty much any space uh, we can work in. There are a few spaces we won't work in, uh, but uh, um, uh, a variety of contexts um, uh, across the board. Uh, what, what are the spaces you won't work in? Uh, so we have said we won't do uh, we won't work on elections, um, which is relevant <laughs> to some recent events. Uh, we have um, also uh, said we won't work with tobacco companies. Uh, we decided we didn't want to do that. Uh, the company is very mission based, so so the mission is um, making the institutions of the world work the way they're supposed to for everybody. It's one articulation of the mission. Uh, so we think about what good does this do for the world? And is this something that we as an organization can get behind? So how do privacy and civil liberties questions come into the work of, of your company? As, as an engineering software company, um, why do you care about privacy and civil liberties? Because uh, that's part of the core mission, right? If the institutions work right, then they work fairly and they work for everybody. They protect privacy. They protect our fundamental rights. Um, so uh, so executing on that mission requires us to think about privacy and civil liberties. It's just it's inherent in the mission. Um, <clears throat> so um, uh, and, and also the engineers who work at Palantir want to be responsible for these things. They want to do the right thing with what they're building. So our team thinks about, okay, how do we design these? What are the potential uh, risks or potential negative externalities of using this? And then how do we design capabilities that uh, mitigate those risks or that allow uh, the technology only to be used in a positive way? 
And and what's your what's your background? I, for my students, am a lawyer. Uh, I am one of the few non-technical people at Palantir. Right. And so your title, however, is civil liberties engineer. Uh, so that's that's an interesting title. Uh, talk a little bit about what does it mean to be a civil liberties engineer as opposed to a, a lawyer or a protection officer or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, um, uh, engineer title is, is meant to convey that we are our purpose is to build. Our purpose is to solve problems, uh, to design solutions. Um, uh, as I, I jokingly like to say, uh, engineers build and create, lawyers ruin and destroy. Um, but uh, uh, the truth is that um, you know it, 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 um, it embodies the positive approach to solving these problems. We are not the compliance team. There are lawyers at the company uh, who are part of compliance and who think about you know how do we manage our own data, what do the contract provisions say, and things like that. Uh, but our team is designed to say, okay, how do we build this capability? Um, or do we build an entirely new capability that solves another privacy problem, like better auditing analytics or uh, you know, a better way to delete data or a more effective way to delete data? Uh, so we, we are looking to, to build and create. So that's why most of our team are engineers. And how would you um, talk to engineers? How do you get them to think about issues of privacy or ethics or civil liberties um, when they're solving a technical problem? What, what would be you know, some, some tips that you might give uh, to the engineering team of ways to spot issues that might be uh, not familiar to them, but might be familiar more to people who've been trained in other disciplines? Yeah, I mean, so the, there are two two main things. One, uh, we tell them to trust their instincts uh, on what is creepy or not. The creepy test uh, in privacy uh, is nobody can define what creepy means, but we all sort of know what it means. And so we tell them, if you think a use of data or, or you think a capability that gives you a feeling of, boy, this is creepy or this would be weird if somebody using this uh, or it makes you uncomfortable, that's a good instinct. Let then come to my team or come to uh, someone else at the company and say, hey, I'm a little concerned about this thing. Uh, and then the other test that we often tell them is, do you want to live in the world that this is going to create? This capability uh, that you're building, you know, again, by, by virtue of the mission, it's designed to change the world. It's designed to make the world uh, different in some way and hopefully a positive way. And the test for that should be, well, you're going to be in that world as an engineer. So how is it going to affect you? And are you comfortable with that? Uh, and we find that tends to be a good test as well. Uh, and also, it's also why in the Valley, it really counsels having a, a more diverse workforce um, because you want people to have a bunch of different perspectives uh, and be able to bring their own uh, community's perspective to things. And that helps you make a better decision about you know, does something work well for the world. That, that's a fascinating insight. And I want to get to it in just a minute. Um, but I, I, can you give us maybe an example, a concrete example of where there was a t technical problem uh, that uh, one of your engineers or perhaps your team thought raised privacy or civil liberties questions and then how you resolved it? Um, actually, this is, I mean, a, a, a sort of general uh, issue that we've noticed is that um, all government systems or, or pretty much all systems have a requirement for auditing and ability to see, uh, to, to log system events and how a computer works uh, so that you can do uh, oversight of them. Um, and you see this in Federal Information Security Management Act, you know, U.S. government laws. Uh, it must be audited. It must be audited. And one of the things that we noticed is that even though everything has audit logs, nobody ever looks at the audit logs or very rarely looks at them. And often only when something happens, you know, you read, oh, all this data was stolen and you read about it on the front page of the New York Times, they go back to see what happens. And what we realized is the reason is audit logs are incredibly difficult to use. Um, and so one of the things we've been building as a team is audit log analytics. It's just another big data problem. Uh, and we said, how do we make uh, these logs more usable? And what we found is that by making them usable, people then use them. Uh, and so they're doing more proactive oversight and preventing something bad from happening uh, rather than waiting until something happens and figuring out what went wrong. 
fantastic, you know, practical solution to an obvious problem um, that may not have been so obvious uh, to people who didn't have that technical insight. Um, talk a little bit about the challenges. I mean, Silicon Valley has been facing a lot of challenges with diversity, uh, whether you talk about gender or race or other, uh, you know, other communities. Um, what have you done to try to tackle that problem at Palantir? Uh, so, I mean, I think part of it is just to be conscious of it. Um, you know, what, you know uh, uh, the UK actually just released figures on uh, gender diversity um, in a lot of uh, private companies that put them out uh, as a good way to just, you know, promote transparency that this is something uh, that needs to be addressed and by showing, you know, what is the extent of the gender gap at organizations. So, uh, <clears throat> and even before that, we were thinking, okay, how are we conscious of this? Uh, and I think the real thing is to, um, to show the value, uh, like I said before, um, you know, having a variety of perspectives helps you build a better product because it helps you understand how this thing that, again, you want to reshape the world is going to affect the entire world. Uh, the interesting thing about data analytics is it is it just sounds um, uh, it sounds like we're puffing ourselves up a little, but it is kind of the truth is it is the search for truth. Right. What is the world? How analysis is to show you what is happening in the world. Um, and if your uh, technology does not account for the entire world or is biased in some way against somebody else, then it's not showing the truth. It's bad analysis. Uh, so I think thinking about it as this is not just something we have to do to fill in columns on a chart and get, you know, make regulators happy. This is something that makes us a better company. Uh, I think that uh, is, is, becomes a real driving force for improving diversity across the board. Great. Uh, you know, one, I guess one last question, uh, although maybe this will uh, be a few questions. Um, could you give some advice? You know, our, our program here at Brown is a lot about integrating across different disciplines. So we talk about technology, we talk about computer science, we also talk about law and policy and ethics. Um, on your team, you have, in addition to the technologists and a couple of lawyers, you also even have philosophers. Uh, really interesting uh, marriage of different types of talents. How do you get those different types of people to communicate better with one another? Uh, you just gave a great example of a few key uh, insights. If you could give a few of those key insights of how do you talk to somebody when you have no idea what they're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, for me, certainly speaking as a, as a very non-technical person, uh, the, thing, the biggest thing I had to get past uh, was uh, embracing my idiocy. Uh, I had to recognize that there was just something I was going to have a lot of trouble understanding. Um, and very smart people tend to uh, get in a room and um, if someone is talking about something they don't understand, they fake it till they make it. I'll, I'll pretend I get this uh, and I'll look it up later or I'll Google it later. Um, you can't, in a, in a highly technical discussion, you can't do that because in you know the 10 minutes that you're talking through this, you're going to go through 20 concepts, acronyms you've never heard before, uh, also, and you'll be totally lost and you're not going to be able to go back and pick it up. It's almost like listening to a conversation uh, in German if you only speak very rudimentary German. You're not going to be able to go back and catch up on it. Um, so you have to keep stopping and saying, I don't understand, I don't understand. And it's very tough to do. Uh, you know, again, everybody at Brown or everybody that are coming from uh, these elite universities, you're very smart. You don't want to you don't want to admit that you don't understand something. Um, but if you want to prevent yourself from getting lost, you have to do it. You have to say, OK, um, I, I don't get this. Um, and then you have to um, <clears throat> and then you have to keep questioning. You keep pushing back. You know, um, the way I tend to do it is to say, 
uh, someone will explain something technical to me, uh, and then I will try to explain it back to them uh, using various uh, metaphors, uh, and then they will say, nope, that's not right, uh, and then they try to explain it back to me, uh, and then we just keep going around in a circle until I finally get it. As I said in the talk earlier, the uh, one time somebody explained deletion to me using alphabet blocks. Uh, which was slightly condescending, but also the first time that I ever understood how deletion really worked. How does deletion work? <laughs> Might be another podcast for us. I need um, the blocks. Uh, certainly, uh, certainly a really key issue when it comes to the right to be forgotten um, and other requirements that we're seeing out there um, uh, when it comes to privacy. Um, you know, I, I think uh, our, our slogan at the Executive Master uh, of Cybersecurity is uh, strategy is the best security. I'm wondering if maybe we should add uh, as, as a sub-slogan to that, embrace your idiocy. Um, I, I actually think it's a very valuable piece of advice um, because in this world in which we're in right now, uh, it doesn't matter how deep and how smart you are and how great your technical experience is or your non-technical experience is. Um, because of the interdisciplinary nature of the cybersecurity problem, there's going to be something that you're an idiot about. Um, and so uh, it, it just seems to me to be a key insight uh, to say if, if someone, if you don't understand something, to stop and ask questions. Um, but as you described, uh, you know, I think very well in the talk, it's easy to say that it's much harder to do. Um, uh, Maybe just if you have any, do you have any additional thoughts for, you know, people who are thinking about getting into the uh, world of cybersecurity? Uh, I mean, I think um, the advice I give everybody, uh, especially people who really care about privacy and civil liberties, is, um, is get in the room. Uh, you know, a lot of people, and sometimes this happens at Palantir, people say, well, I'm concerned about some of your customers. I'm concerned about some of the things that I've read about your company from a privacy and civil liberties perspective. I'm not going to come work for you. Um, which to me is very frustrating because it says, well, if you do really care about this stuff, uh, don't you want to be there at the place where they're making decisions that will affect these things? Um, you know, if you, um, uh, you know, I always use the example, he's a very polarizing figure, but fortunately he polarizes in both directions. It depends on the time, but of Jim Comey, uh, and the, um, uh, the, the battle, uh, the Ashcroft, uh, hospital room, uh, tale. And, uh, you know, the fact that when Comey was deputy or acting attorney general, uh, he was able to significantly change the course of the warrantless wiretap program uh, because uh, he realized what was going on and stood up to do something about it. And um, he could only have done that from that office. Right. He couldn't not from his home, not on Twitter, not at the ACLU, not in the private sector like he had to be there. Uh, and so if you had somebody who was there who wasn't privacy, civil liberties minded, who wasn't ethically minded, it wouldn't have happened. And so I always tell engineers, you need to be in the room, be at the places where you're going to be confronted with a tough decision. Right. And and just just for, for some of the listeners who may not be familiar, in 2006, there was a big controversy inside the Bush administration about a warrantless wiretapping program authorized after September 11th. Part of that program uh, was uh, had been declared illegal by uh, Justice Department attorneys. Uh, and the question was whether the president was going to override that decision and sign off on it anyway. Uh, and Jim Comey, who was a, then a Justice Department official, uh, uh, you know, rushed uh, to to the side of the ailing attorney general, John Ashcroft, uh, in, in order to try to be in the room and to help influence where that decision would come out. And the ultimate outcome of that decision was that uh, they, they went forward uh, with changing uh, the way that program uh, worked. 
Well, um, it's been great to talk to John uh, Grant uh, from Palantir about civil liberties engineering. Um, a fascinating topic uh, and one where I, I think bringing to bear disciplines that uh, we think of as being very different from each other, uh, computer science and technology and engineering, uh, not only with law and policy, but also with uh, the liberal arts and with philosophy uh, can, can really help make the world a better place. So I, I'm very happy to have had John here on the podcast today. Thanks very much for having me. Tim Edgar is the academic director of the Brown University Executive Master in Cybersecurity Program. He's also a senior fellow at the Brown Watson Institute for International and Public Affairs. He previously served as the Director of Privacy and Civil Liberties on President Obama's White House National Security Staff. To join our conversation, visit our website at brown.edu professional and follow us on Twitter at brown underscore SPS. Thanks for listening.